Okay. So a little bit uh, of, of a, an introduction to an introduction as we're getting closer to um, Rosh Hashanah 2022 and Yom Kippur and this whole, this whole period that we're in. Some of what we're going to discuss tonight might sound uh, more basic than not. So if this feels basic to you, then that's okay. Um, it doesn't have to be as deep as you might think it might be, but it also might be deep. So just, just follow along. And um, as we get closer to the end, I'm going to tie all these points together. <clears throat> but we're going to start off with really why, why I titled this particular shear Warriors and Heroes in, in Hashem's Palace or in the Palace of God or something. But I wanted to really discuss, uh, it's not possible to sit and talk about Jung's concept of archetypes, but to discuss the idea of what it means to be a hero and what it means to be a warrior, and then try to bring that down into our own lives uh, to glean a little bit of what it means to be a hero, what it means to be a warrior, and what we're striving to be in our own lives, what we're striving to be in our Avedis Hashem, and hopefully to learn something that can be meaningful, that might be a little bit uh, controversial sounding, might be a little bit like life-altering, or, or at least, least a, a paradigm shifting. In our classic, you know, uh, growing up as kids, it's, it's certainly plausible and healthy for us to have a wild imagination. Princes, princesses, when I was a kid, we used to watch a cartoon. I used to watch a cartoon called He-Man. I know my mother watched Batman when she was a kid. Heroes, these were people that were, um, were heroes, specifically uh, He-Man was a, was a, a young teenage adolescent kid who was, uh, who was also a prince in this magical kingdom somewhere. Um, and he was kind of anxious, kind of insecure, and he was tasked with basically saving the entire universe. And not really knowing what to do, he went to meet the, uh, the elders of, of, of his um, little kingdom, and they told him this magic potion when you take his sword out from, his, from the, the sheath on his back, and he holds it up over his head and says whatever he says, he turns into this massive warrior, and then goes out and fights the evil demons and etc. But when he's not his warrior self, he's really this young, imaginative, insecure kid, so to speak. And for me, that 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 dichotomy, that split, so to speak, of the difference between the the prior to being the warrior and the being the warrior has always sat with me as like a um, an illustration or imagination of what it means to be a human being. So let's talk for a minute about the difference between being a hero and being a warrior. And as we go through these 10 or 11 differences, I'm comparing and contrasting these things together, you'll start to see um, at least the way that I'm conceptualizing these things. Um, you can disagree with these conceptualizations. This is really just from my reading and my thinking over the years of what is a hero and what is a warrior? Because they're very similar in many ways. Most heroic acts are acts of overcoming, defeating 
some kind of impossibility. That's what heroes generally are. So what is the difference? What are some differences between being a hero and being a warrior? So first and foremost, the difference, the first difference between a hero and a warrior is that heroes are generally more adolescent, whereas warriors are more mature. And as we go through this list, you'll see uh, in these distinctions why I'm why I'm saying that. Before we uh, let's jump straight into it. Heroes tend to be very self-conscious. Heroes tend to be very self-conscious, and in, in their heroic acts, the idea that they are enacting some act of heroism, they tend to be aware of, or, they, or afterwards they tend to reflect back and say, oh, that was heroic. So heroes are more self-centered. Warriors are more mission-centered. So of course they're aware of themselves, of course they're aware of their capabilities, but their focus is on the mission and not necessarily themselves. By extension, the hero who's more like an adolescent is more internally in, term, in, in turmoil. So that the inner experience, the emotional experience of adolescence is marked very much by chaos, ups and downs sporadic emotional outbursts internally, externally, emotions that conflict with each other, things don't necessarily seem to be settled, whereas the warrior is emotionally integrated, is capable of holding two different realities at the same time, is capable of having negative emotions and not falling apart. And to continue down this list, the hero is generally filled with and fueled by fear or passion, fear or passion. Whereas the warrior is generally confident and has some kind of clarity. Now, as you see, as we go through this list, a lot of these things seem to be um, um, either intuitive or they kind of make sense as you see me comparing and contrasting. So I started off the beginning of this there's adolescence and then there's maturity. But now we get into things that I think are, are even more significant and important. The hero tends to be avoidant of vulnerability. So that the hero does whatever he can do or she can do, the heroine, the hero, the heroine, does whatever she or he can do to avoid recognition and expression of vulnerability so that the hero flexes his muscles, the heroine flexes her muscles and shows the world, I can do this, I'm going to do this, and doesn't generally express vulnerability, except if it's in direct service to what, what they're doing in that moment. But otherwise, the hero generally is vulnerably avoidant, whereas the warrior is vulnerably engaging. That means that the warrior engages their vulnerability, is not afraid of being vulnerable. And when we say vulnerable, I don't mean weak. Vulnerable means allowing for the space of emotionality, allowing for the space of wonder, being in suspense, waiting for things, 
etc., etc., etc. To be vulnerable means that I, I'm able to live more in faith as opposed to in no, needing to know. That's generally the way that I, that I understand vulnerability, right? Which is which is immediately a a major problem with religion because religion is very much preached as we know this, it's concrete, it's ritualistic, whereas religion is meant to be a faith-based practice and faith requires, begins with and ends with vulnerability. Faith is living in, a, in, in this radical state of amazement, of curiosity, of wonder, of not knowing. And the hardcore ritualistic ideas of do it like this con concrete structure is generally uh, not perceived as vulnerable. And it's important as we go down this list. The hero by extension is very much living in the world of a magical fantasy. And the warrior, the warrior is living in the world of realism and idealism. The warrior has a tremendous sense of the ideal, but the ideal is real for the warrior. The hero, it's an imagined fantasy. And the hero might chase the fantasy thinking that it's idealism their whole life, but doesn't really know how in the stage of the hero does not really know how to make the ideal concretized and real. So again, the hero is living with magical fantasy and the warrior is living in a state of realism and idealism. Down the, down the list, the hero tends to have what I would call episodic greatness. Their greatness is defined by episodes. They do an act of heroism. Artists tend to be real heroes. They tend to search for great experiences, great moments, great works of art. What happens the rest of the time is meaningless to them. So the greatness is really becomes for the hero, greatness becomes something that they search for, greatness becomes something that they try to live off of, and greatness is tends to be episodic. So it's confined to either an episode or a character trait. So the guy who's, or the, or the, the person who's got a specific talent and makes a life out of that talent, and really the rest of their life has no other value or meaning. And everything is just in the service of that talent, but they don't know how to live in every other area of their life, right? Think the, the drug addicted rock star. So that's a hero. That's a person who's got some greatness that's either confined to an episode or to a particular talent and milks it, owns it, you know, rocks it out. The warrior, on the other hand, is living in personal greatness. The warrior is living in personal greatness. His greatness or her greatness is not defined by one or two particular character traits or episodes or, or, or situations. It's a full picture of trying to live in a mature sense greatly, right? So I've asked this question to many, many artists over the years, many artists or many people who are very, very talented in one particular area, and that is, would you rather spend your life trying to produce one great piece of art or would you rather live your life artistically as one big piece of greatness? That's, that's 
in, in a way of, of looking at the hero versus the warrior. We're going to keep going. The hero is afraid of darkness. The hero is afraid of darkness. The hero seeks to destroy darkness. The hero seeks to destroy darkness. Fearful and seeks to destroy darkness. Because again, the hero is afraid of vulnerability. The warrior is capable of and is interested in engaging darkness. And if anyone wants the list of this, I see everyone's writing, which is good. If you want a list of this, I could send this out afterwards. I should have said that from the beginning. But I literally told you to take notes. That's true. But we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Here is, therefore, again, this is an important one because this is really the, the conduit into the rest of everything that I want to talk about tonight. The hero is fearful of and struggles against darkness. Darkness is the hero's enemy. And so the, the hero wants to destroy darkness. The hero can't be vulnerable. The hero can only know how to overcome and overpower darkness. Whereas the warrior walks straight into the darkness and contends with the darkness. Now here's, I think, another really important one to think about. The hero gets a lot of idealization. The hero gets a lot of idealization. People, people look to the hero to be their muse or look to the hero to be their role model. The hero gets a lot of idealization. We idealize the hero. Whereas the warrior is a good leader. That's an important one. When we think of, when we think of the Rabbanim that we have and we think of the people that we turn to in life, it's very, very easy, just with social media today, it's very easy to find heroes. There are heroes all over the place in this way. You want to idealize someone? Just look at someone that is a little bit confident, has a little bit of charm, and has a nice TikTok or, or Instagram page, and boom, you found the hero. You can idealize anyone. But that doesn't make the person a good leader or a good mentor. Right? So the warrior is a good leader and a good mentor and a good teacher. That means a, a warrior is someone who cares, who knows how to get into the trenches with the person, that, the people that they're leading. They're able to do that. That's not the same thing as the hero. The hero gets a lot of idealization. Um, I'm just going to run through two more. The hero is very much caught up with grandiosity. The hero is very much about doing the extraordinary. It's about big things. The, the warrior is living in grandeur. So grandiosity versus grandeur. And this, we can spend a whole, a whole, a whole even series on explaining the difference. And finally, the hero lives with a lot of denial, and the warrior uh, embraces embraces everything. By extension, the hero's life is very tempestuous. There's a lot of ups and downs. Lots of ups and downs. The hero floats in the clouds and always falls. And every time the hero falls off the cloud, he hits the ground and experiences insane trauma. Every time the hero falls from grace, there's insane trauma. The warrior 
is as familiar with falling as he is with his feet. Because the warrior is completely familiar with falling, right? That's the famous, the famous vart from a footner, a footner. Somebody once sent a message for a footner to talk, asking him about all the aliyahs and you read this that he has. And Rafutner says, when it says, Shevi Tzadik Vakam, he means to say that in order to become a tzaddik, you have to know how to fall. You have to know how to fall. You fall seven times. You can't become a tzaddik without falling seven times. And that's really the introduction to everything that I want to say. There's the, a way of doing tshuva that's the way of the hero. And there's a way of doing tshuva that's the way of a tzaddik. There's a way of doing tshuva that's the way of the warrior. I'm not knocking what it means to be a bal tshuva. And I'm certainly not addressing the phenomenon of people who become religious. I'm not talking about that. But just for our own conception, the bal tshuva is a hero. And the, the tzaddik is a warrior. The bal tshuva is still working it out. The bal tshuva is still living in the shadow of whatever changes they're trying to make. The tzaddik has concretized, has integrated, has become confident, has clarity, is maturing, is growing, but is growing from a place of strength. What I really, really want, the message that I really want to, uh, to address, if I, if I were to, to title this, uh, this whole uh, shear differently, what I really would like to say is, what does it mean to be a balavera? How do you be a how do you be a good Jewish balavera? That's to me the real question. What is my relationship with the Yitzhahara? What is my relationship with darkness? What is my relationship with Avera? Because I can approach all these things, the inner war. I can approach it from the from the, the vantage point of being a hero, or I can uh, I can approach it from the vantage point of being a warrior. What is the difference between that? Where do we see that in our own in our own tradition in our own lives? So the hero is terrified of Averas. The hero attempts to reject Averas. The hero says, I will create a life for myself where I won't sin. There are Gemara's like this. The Gemara talks about this. The Gemara talks about the importance of setting boundaries so that you don't do any Averas. So there's, there's certainly an element to being afraid of Averas. The Gemara talks all about, about being afraid, afraid of Averas. But the question for us really is, is, what is the overall overarching sense that we have about ourselves? Do I believe, do I need to live my life in a constant anxiety, a constant state of anxiety about my fearfulness that I'm going to do something wrong, in which case I'm living life as a hero, my only chance at beating the Eight Sahara is if I can destroy the Eight Sahara. I can get the Eight Sahara away from me. I can separate myself completely from the Eight Sahara. Or is my job to be a warrior? Is my job to know that there's the Eight Sahara? If I'm going to set boundaries, I'm setting boundaries from a place of confidence and clarity. But that ultimately, what the warrior knows how to do is to say no. The warrior knows how to say no. The warrior knows how to say yes. The hero doesn't know how to do those things. The hero needs to set boundaries because essentially they don't believe within themselves they have the capacity to engage any darkness. 
So the hero has to avoid darkness at all costs. The tzaddik, the warrior, who's capable of being vulnerable, who's capable of recognizing that they can fall, who's capable of recognizing that they have disappointments and not afraid to admit they have disappointments to themselves or to the certainly the people that they're closest with. I have disappointments. I have shortcomings. There are things that don't work in my life. There are things I don't do well in. In, in this, this last week's Naim Alimelech slash of Cookshare that I gave, um, I used the example of me eating late at night. That's just like a thing that I have. And somebody came over to me a week later and said to me, what's your, what's your, what's your food of choice? And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I could sat with me the whole week that you admitted publicly that you like to eat junk at night. And like, he was so blown away that I admitted that. And I'm like, okay, like I, I didn't, it, it was just an off the cuff spontaneous, uh, spontaneous thing. I'm not, it's, it's just the idea that it's shocking to people to hear someone else, quote unquote, admit that they have some kind of failing. The hero has a very hard time with vulnerability. The hero has a very hard time with acknowledging that there's something that they struggle with. The hero has a very hard time with struggle. The hero only knows how to kick struggle out the door. The hero says, what? We're going to get there. 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 Hold, hold your thought. You want to know whether or not it's an effective way of doing things. We'll get there. Hang on. That's what, that's what we have. That's why we have Rev Cook tonight. The hero lives with the fear and passion, and so is in a constant state of struggle. I don't know. I'm not led by any sense of clarity about who I am. I'm not led with any sense of maturity of who I am. I'm, li I'm living from a place of constantly being insecure, of constantly being afraid, or constantly being ru ruled by passion. And then the hero can get into all these states of grandiosity, of magical fantasy, of having these deep, meaningful experiences, but then never knowing how to integrate that and make that a part of their reality or, or their idealism. Look, having a magical fantasy is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to do. We should never, ever stop having magical fantasies. And we should have magical fantasies because magical fantasies can become our ideals. And our ideals can become real. We can make our ideals reality. But the hero doesn't know how to do that. The hero is disconnected from their ideals. The hero just lives in this grandiose, adolescent, fearful state that he, he or she does extraordinary things, extraordinary things, but is ultimately not integrated. And what we're looking for is integration. So here's something that, uh, that I wrote. I'm going to read to you two things tonight that I wrote. Once the Sahara swapped clothing with God. Once the Sahara swapped clothing with God. God became the force of restriction, inhibition, and self-denial. The Sahara, quote-unquote, became the force of exuberance, expression, and self-development. Again, once the Sahara and God swapped clothing, the Sahara, the God, quote unquote, became 
the force for inhibition, restriction, and self-denial. And the Yetzirah became the force of exuberance, expression, and self-development. It'll take a few generations, but we're in the process of giving, each, giving the Yetzirah back his clothes and the Rabbanishram back his, his clothes. In any way, shape, or form, this is what we've learned this from Rav Cook many times over, 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 over this last year. Anytime that I am experiencing an inhibition, a repression of my sense of self, that's Yetzirah. Any kind of Yerushalayim, Rav Cook says, any kind of Yerushalayim that makes me become less of me, that's called a Yerupsula. That's not, that's called fake, that's called fake Yira. That's not Yerushalayim, that's not Yerush Hashem. Hashem's energy goes through me in a way of self-development, of expansiveness, of growth, of not being afraid to grow, not being afraid to expand myself, not being afraid to be exuberant and fun and exciting. I was sitting with a client today who's a very, very high-powered woman, um, has made a tremendous amount of money and has made a lot of waves in whatever community and profession that she's in. And she was literally moved to tears today because her friends make fun of her husband. Her husband um, also is a very well, well-to-do guy and they're kind of a power couple. Um, but they make fun because her husband takes the kids to the park every, every Shabbos and he like gets down and dirty with them. And like, he totally like, you know, goes on the swings with them and throws them around and rolls around in his, in his, you know, in his Shabbos pants. And they, you know, they, they kid her a little bit. And she was crying about how painful it is for her that her husband is so childish. And so, so I said to her that, you know, they're in this, they're in this process of, of like both of them, doing do, doing a lot of good work um and then i asked her where i reminded her why you know like what she fell in love with 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 him and right away she said his his um his innocence and so i said to her like that's what you're missing in your life you're missing his innocence and that's the that's the saving grace that he has and all the things that you struggle with and all the things you fight you need to learn how to how to be that from him you need to learn how to get that more from him exuberance and innocence is godly. Self-expression is godly. Self-development is godly. Expanding your curiosity, expanding your capabilities, expand, expanding your creativity, expansiveness and development is godly. But how many of us are afraid of doing that because we think that Hashem wants us to restrict? We think that Hashem wants us to repress. We think that Hashem wants us to be inhibited. We think that the ideal, the ideal of Yiddishkeit is to be introverted in a way where I'm not, I'm not being full of myself. I'm not fully expressing myself. The hero, the hero believes that Hashem would like us to restrict ourselves. Because the hero says, if you, if you don't restrict yourself, you're going you're gonna to have to meet curveballs. You're going to have to meet difficult challenges in your life. And you're not going to be able to manage the difficult challenges, so stay away from them. You'll be a hero if you deny yourself. You'll be a hero if you become a nothing. You'll be a hero if you're, you know, to use a Yiddish word, you'll be a hero if you're a Mekala. Oh, you're, you're you know, 
you're an edel, an edel a person. Edelkeit is nice, but edelkeit is also just one of the midos that we're meant to have. To be full of myself does not mean to live in grandiosity like the hero. The hero knows grandiosity. That's extraordinary. That's greatness. That's painting the painting that everyone sees or, you know, or in my world, like giving the sheer that everyone knows or like giving that, saying that one thing that meaningful minute, you know, decides to send out, go viral, whatever it is, that stuff is hero stuff. That's grandiosity. Grander, greatness is about being able to live in the fullest way that, that we can, to be fully expressed and fully expanded as how I am. That's grander. So for us in our lives to be able to shift the meanings, if we, if we have to, for those of us that have to, to, to shift the meanings of who wears what clothing, the Yetzirah or Hashem, to recognize that the Yetzirah is really what's looking for inhibition. It's the Yetzirah that's looking for inhibition. It's not Hashem. Yes, there are moments in our lives that we have to be structured, we have to be disciplined, we have to find ways of not engaging in certain things, but never at the cost, never at the cost of destroying Amida that we have, never at the cost of destroying a character trait um, or anything about us that's essentially us. So we're going to move into into uh, into some pieces from of Cook. Um, for the, I will. I'll, yes, yes. Whatever, whatever you want copies of, I'll, 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 I'll give to you. No, I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting this up on the, uh, on the Zoom. So for those of us on Zoom, um, you can, you can read, you can read this here. Okay. Um, all right. So three pieces from of Cook, from Arusa Chuva, that's of Cook's most one of his most beautiful works that really in many ways revolutionizes tshuva. To go through it, um, to go through the entire thing, it's very different than most svarim on tshuva. Um, it really, really adds a, a very, very hopeful view about tshuva and by extension, Sahara and how we want to live our lives. So I, I quoted three different things here. We're going to go through them. We're not going to, we don't have to spend a lot of time with him, but just to read the words, it's really more beautiful in Hebrew and the original Hebrew. But this is, this is my, uh, this is my attempt at translating the words from Rav Cook. So the first one comes from Parakeh from the fifth chapter, number 21, little, little paragraphs that Rav Cook has. So the Gemara teaches us, Tshuva Kadmala'ilam, Tshuva precedes the world. That's a Gemara. The Gemara says that before the world was created, Tshuva was created. Therefore, says Rav Kook, it is the foundation of the world. Tshuva is the foundation of the world. Wholeness in life, Shlemus in life, can only be found by the continuous flow of nature itself. Life is in a constant flow and it's headed towards wholeness towards shlemus. Life itself is headed towards shlemus. So wholeness in life can only be found by the continuous flow of nature itself. And since nature in its own flow 
does not have the capacity for higher order observation or discernment since there's no metacognition. Metacognition is the ability to think about your thoughts. Since there's no capacity for reflection or discernment in nature, nature just flows. Because of that, sin, avera, chait, is surely a part of nature. How do you not sin? You can only not sin if you know how to choose, if, if you have the capacity to choose. Otherwise, inevitably, somewhere, somehow, some, there's going to be something that sins. There's going to be some mishap that happens. A tree's going to fall. Um, an animal's going to die. Something's going to go wrong. So sin, he says, is an, an, an inevitable part of nature because nature has to flow. Nature's flow is always getting, nature's flow is always getting um, to, uh, to, is always moving towards wholeness. And so hate, he says, is, a, is, is an, an inevitable part of nature. As it says, the Pasuk and Kahelas, there is no person who is righteous on earth that does any good and does not sin. So says Rav Kook, therefore, the attempt to destroy the natural flow of life itself in order to become a person who does not sin, again, the attempt to destroy the natural flow of life itself in order to become a person who does not sin is itself the biggest sin. What's the avery you can, the biggest avery you can do the biggest of error you can do is the, to attempt to destroy the natural flow of life. As it says, the Pasuk in Parshish Nasai, the Pasuk says, If the Nazir, somebody who, who, who removes himself from the world, if the Nazir comes in contact with someone who's dead, so the Pasuk says that the Nazir has to repent on this, that he has sinned by coming in contact with the dead. That's what the Pasuk, that's, the Pashup Shad and the Pasuk Rav Kook plays with these words and he says, you have to repent, you have to repent on this that you sinned against your life. The Nazir, who tries to remove themselves from life, who tries to stop the natural flow of life, who tries, who attempts to live life without any sin, must do tshuva on the fact that they tried to destroy their life. For this we have tshuva, says Rav Kook. To fix the brokenness that is inherent in life. Brokenness is an inherent part of life. Darkness is an inherent part of life. Failure, negativity, it's an inherent part of life. To fix the brokenness that is inherent in life and return the world and life itself to its source. How? How do we return the world and life itself to its source? Through revealing the essence of the divine foundation of everything. To reveal, this is, how, this is what tshuva means. To do tshuva means to reveal that what is in the essence of that muffin that I'm eating, that is in the essence of that thing that I did, whether it's a good thing or bad thing, regardless of what it is, but to reveal the essence of Hashem in that thing. I recognize that the foundation of this pleasure, of this act, of this thought, of this emotion, the, the source of all of that is Hashem. The source of everything is Hashem. The source of all goodness, the source of all darkness, it's all Hashem. And that's what tshuva is, revealing the essence of the divine foundation of everything, returning ourselves 
and the world to the world of freedom, the Olam HaCheres. That's the world of freedom, Cheres from, from Chet, the frequency that is free of sin. And this is what our rabbis mean when they call God a living God, Elohim Chaim. Elohim Chaim, that God is, is not just presiding over, but God is flowing through everything because life is meant to flow within flow, within the flow of life. There are inevitable glitches in the system. It's the way it's designed. It's the way it's meant to be. And tshuva is the bringing of those glitches back to its source. So I do an Avera. I bring myself back to the essence of who I am. I, I, I recognize that was a slip. That was a mistake. Even if I'm compelled to do the Avera, and I know I'm going to do the Avera again, that's regardless. That has nothing to do with the capacity to do tshuva. Tshuva has to do with the capacity to return things back to its divine source. So a person uses cocaine. Cocaine is, is a sam hamaves. Cocaine kills, but cocaine brings a lot of pleasure to that person. The person has, has, to, has to do tshuva. What does that mean to do tshuva? It means to say, I recognize that somehow this is a glitch in my system. And I'm going my, bringing myself in this moment back to you, Hashem. I'm bringing myself back to myself. I'm recalibrating the glitch. I recognize that there's a glitch. The glitch is meant to be there. L'chadchila. It's, it's built into the system. Averis are l'chadchila. It's built into the natural system and flow of life. Tshuva is my capacity to bring life itself back to its source. That's source number one. Any, any, we're good. I can't see if there, if there's anything in the chats, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Um, somebody has a question about what I'm saying. We'll, but we'll, we'll, if it's just a question for clarification purposes. Yes, we'll, we'll get there too. So here's source number two. Source number two from Rav Cook is just a few, a few sentence, a few paragraphs prior to this one. Rav Cook says, without the thoughts of tshuva, without having thoughts of tshuva, along with the peacefulness and confidence that tshuva brings, a person cannot find any inner peace, and his spiritual life can never be able to develop at all. Without <clears throat> the peacefulness and confidence that tshuva brings without having thoughts of tshuva, without recognizing not just the capacity for tshuva, but recognizing my own relationship with tshuva, I'll never ever have peace in my life and I will never be able to develop a spiritual life. At the root of peacefulness, at the root of spiritual growth, I must be involved in thinking about tshuva. The concept of tshuva, again, this fits exactly into what we were just saying. Glitches in life are sewn into life. It's the way the program is set up. The program is set up, the world is set up, you're going to do averas. Averas are l'chatchila, a part of life. If I don't recognize tshuva, which means, another way of saying this, if I attempt to be a hero and I attempt to eradicate averas from my life, which of Cook says is the biggest sin of all, if I attempt to eradicate Averis from my life, I can never develop a spiritual life. I must recognize all the time in the capacity of tshuva. 
we tend to think that tshuva is what comes after an avera, right? We just learned in the Gemara, the Gemara says, tshuva happened before the creation of the world. Tshuva is l'chadchila, averas are l'chadchila, because averas bring to tshuva, and we'll, 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 we'll get to that in, uh, in a little bit. Let's just go back to the, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's go back to this source. With, without the thoughts of tshuva, of Cook says, Perakei Oisvav, chapter five, without the thoughts of tshuva, along with the peacefulness and confidence it brings, a person cannot find any inner peace and his spiritual life could never be able to develop at all. Our conscience demands righteousness, goodness, and wholesomeness of us. But the fulfillment of, of our ethical responsibilities, the fulfillment of what our conscience wants, wants from us is too distant for each of us to actualize. We are weak by design, Rav Cook says. We cannot set intentions for all our actions to be pure, to act in the way of the idealized state of pure righteousness. It's not possible for any of us to be perfect. So how can we be drawn to what is simply impossible for us to do? If it's impossible for me to do acts that are pure in motivation, if, if it's impossible for me to live along with my conscience, why have a conscience? How many of us have struggled with the idealism of our conscience that says, you know, you really, you really should put the quarter in the meter, you owe it. You really should go that extra mile and cross that lady the street. If the arrow points to you to drive down the parking lot this way, go that way. Like whatever, the, whatever, whatever little tiny example you have in your life, how many of us feel that our conscience actually bothers us? It's too much. There's too much to think about. So it's true. Our conscience is very often a source of struggle because if I'm essentially wanting to do the right thing, well, it's almost impossible. You can't always do the right thing. How can we be drawn to what is simply impossible for us to do? So if Cook says for this, tshuva is sown into the nature of every human being. In fact, tshuva is what completes us. That there is always a possibility that we could fail that we are imperfect in our righteousness and ethics is not a flaw in our own wholeness as a human being. Let's take that sentence and plaster it around the whole world. That there is always a possibility that we could fail, that we are imperfect in our righteousness and ethics is not a flaw in our own wholeness as a human being. I think my mother's on, and so I would repeat this for my mother's sake. That there is a possibility that we could fail, <laughs> Haima. That we are, that we are imperfect in our righteousness and ethics is not a flaw in our own wholeness as human beings, because the essential foundation of wholeness is found in our yearning, and our idealism, and the desire that is permanently affixed in, inside of us for wholeness, and this desire is the exact foundation of tshuva. Tshuva is not. Wholeness. Tshuva is my yearning for wholeness. Tshuva means that I'm living my life in a state where no matter what I'm involved in, I know somewhere, somehow that there's something beyond where I'm at right now. There's an idealized version that I could get to, and I'm not there, and I'm not going to get there in this moment. I might never get there in my whole life, but tshuva is what completes that space. When I go back in, within myself 
and I go back to the, when I'm, when I'm doing tshuva, excuse me, when I'm doing tshuva and I'm reconnecting to myself and I'm reconnecting the world back to its source, back to Hashem. And I'm recognizing in this moment, it's not really me. It's really about Hashem. That there's something beyond, way beyond me. That there's something that no matter what attempt I make to make anything of myself, it pales in comparison to the godless of who I am. No matter what I try to do with my life, no matter what efforts and no matter what ripples and effects I have on the entire universe, it pales in comparison to the magnificence of who I am in Hashem's eyes, because I am much larger than the sum total of anything I can do. And the world is much more beautiful than the sum total of any of its beauty and any of its brokenness. In the whole flow of life, Tshuva asks one thing. Can you recognize the source? Can you recognize the being that's inside of it all? Can you recognize the life force? If you could do that, if, if you can look in the mirror and say, hey, that was a failure. And instead of falling apart, look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm a failure. But that's okay. That's part of what it means to be human. I'm a warrior. I'm involved in this journey. I'm on a, this continuous state of living my life, of being caught up in the flow of the journey. I'm expanding. I'm growing. I'm developing. I'm engaged in this magnificent experience of living life. Then all I have to do is just remember failure is a part of life. Averes are a part of life. Chatayim are a part of life. Character flaws are a part of life. We're given them. We're born with them. We're meant to live with them. We're meant to struggle with them. We're not meant to deny them. We're not meant to throw them out the window. We're not meant to live without them. They complete us. They make us whole. When I do that, that's an act of tshuva. When I'm able to recognize that, that contours is what makes beauty. Beauty is not purity. Beauty is found in contours. Beauty is found in edges. Beauty is found in those places of discernment where I can say, oh, that's that and that's that. The body ends here. The, 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 the work of art ends here. If I can't do that, if I can't discern the rough edges of life, I can't see beauty. Beauty is only found in the, in, in the contours of things, in the personality, in the, in, the, in the vibrancy. And vibrancy is never perfect. Vibrancy always has rough edges. And finally, the third piece that we're, gonna, we're, 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 we're going into, also from the same, the same chapter in Rav Kook, Rav Kook writes, woven into the nature of reality, the world is compelled to be brought to a full and whole tshuva. It's really uh, um, what the Rambam says. The Rambam, the Rambam says that, um, uh, that there's a haftacha, there's a promise, there's a certainty that in the end, Kali Yisrael is going to do tshuva. And everybody's wondering about such a, how, how, can, how can he make such a, such a claim? But it's, so there's a lot to say about this, but this is Rav Kook's uh, a way of describing that. Woven into the nature of reality, the world is compelled to be brought to a full and whole tshuva because the world does not remain static in one state. Rather, it is constantly in a state of advancing and developing. And in its authentic and full development, it will certainly bring itself into full health and wholesomeness, both materially and spiritually. And it brings along with it the living light of tshuva. Rav Cook writes, I've said this, to, to, I've shared this many, many times. Rav Cook writes, Sofa Kol, 
Lehisalos, Lehismatek, Lehiskadesh. Everything is in a, in a continuous state of transcending, of sweetening, and becoming more holy or holifying. We can't make the mistake of thinking that we need to be heroes, that we need to deny the world around us and deny the world the way it's meant to be. We can't make the mistake of thinking that a chait is something that's foreign to us. It's not to say that we should intentionally sin. When I say a chait is, 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 is l'chatchila and tshuva is l'chatchila, I mean what Rav Kook is teaching us. You can't get away from it. You're going to do an Avera. You wake up in the morning and you say to yourself, Jump in a lake. That's not Judaism. What? It, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the fallout of attempting to do that, which is what the Nazir does, the Pasuk says you, have to, you need a Kapara for that. The fallout of trying to live a perfect day is that you fall apart. And what the hero does every time the hero falls apart is it's a traumatic, it's a fragment, fragmented uh, um, splatting on the floor. There's a Humpty Dumpty moment that every hero has. The warrior knows how to fall. The warrior is familiar with falling. The warrior doesn't, is not bothered by falling. The warrior knows that when you fall, it's it's kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, being a stunt double in a movie, right? The stunt doubles train how to fall. You have to know how to how to fall out of a building, and how to roll your body on the ground in the exact way that you don't break any bones. That's what they train for. So that's the warrior, the tzaddik. The warrior tzaddik is a stunt double. He knows how to do. He knows how to do it. She knows how to do it. That's the way. That's the way we're meant, we're meant to be. We're meant to recognize that tshuva is not, oh, since you messed up, okay, so quickly, here's the remedy, here's the medicine. Tshuva itself is, is, the, is, the, is the healthy way of living. If you want to have manucha in life, you want to build a spiritual life, you must think about tshuva all the time. It doesn't mean to say that you must walk around thinking about your failures all the time, but you have to be in a constant state of tshuva. You have to always have the, the state of tshuva in your mind because tshuva does two things or does many things. But tshuva means, A, I'm no longer thinking about how bad I am that I did this avera. And tshuva also means that I have the capacity to yearn, to be bigger, to expand larger, to recognize that Hashem wants me to expand my life bigger and, and shoot for whatever idealistic goals that I have to take the magical fantasy of the, uh, the hero and turn it into some real idealistic goal to live my life by and never be afraid of it. Never be afraid of what I'm capable of. Never be afraid of what I'm dreaming of. We're living in a time where there's a, a, a tremendous generational gap. So many of our parents or our grandparents were raised by Holocaust survivors or were, if not by parents who were Holocaust survivors, certainly by teachers who were Holocaust survivors. The, the generational gap is such that we are living at a time with such unbelievable possibility. There's technological growth, there's scientific growth, there's growth in every area of, of, of commerce. There's also growth in human capacity. 
not through doing insane, crazy things like, you know, hyperbaric chamber, chambers and ayahuasca and all that stuff. I mean, there's a place for that stuff too, but we don't need that. We don't need that. There, there's so much more capacity for human beings to become so much bigger than human beings ever were. Yes, of course, there's a concept of you read the Sadaris, but you read the Sadaris is just one aspect of recognizing what's happening in, in, in our times. What's happening in our times now is, is there's so much more available. There's so much more knowledge available. There's so much more capacity available. There's so much more in just in, in, in advances in the field of psychotherapy, which is all about self-growth. It's all about expanding yourself and growing yourself. <clears throat> the Baal said, I've shared this with you before and we'll, we'll, we'll end with this. The Baal says that when Hashem created the world, so he said, He said, Yeah, right. That was our part. Let us make man. And the Baal said, who is, who is he speaking to? He was speaking to man himself. So here's a little, a little meditation that I was, I was uh, thinking about this week. When Hashem said Nasa Adam, he was talking to man. And he said, I'm purposely leaving the world ambiguous. I'm leaving you with empty spaces, with brokenness, with instability, chaos, and the sense that I, God, am apathetic and indifferent to the world. That you wonder where I am and whether I exist is intentional. Because Amuna, faith, means that you relate to all that is missing in this world, all that is empty. Will you be swallowed up in the force field of my absence? Or will you read my hiddenness as an invitation? An invitation to fill in the blanks in the sentences. You, my dear human, will fill in the void of my absences through your reactions to suffering. Will you be compassionate, caring, and will you honor your pain and the pain of others? Or will you be crushed by what it seems like? How will you rise to meet your shortcomings? Will you be crushed in defeat or take the time to honor what I have intentionally left blank? You know, like those papers, right? You get, you know, the space intentionally left blank. In the contours of your character defects, will you be crushed in defeat or take the time to honor what I have intentionally left blank in the contours of your character defects? I made you as you are. This space left intentionally blank. What will you do in that space? Will you create in the space or slip into the vacuous oblivion in those intentionally blank spaces? So without our capacity to embrace Avera, without our capacity to, to our capacity to recognize that Avera is an integral part of our lives. It's an integral part of our lives, A, because Averis keep us humble. And humility is the key to, to vulnerability. That's one. But also because if we can't tolerate our own Averis, we can't tolerate other people's Averis. That to me is a big one. How many people are intolerable of others because they can't tolerate themselves? So the first reason why we need to tolerate Averis is because it keeps us humble and vulnerable. But more than that, it keeps us having the capacity 
to be tolerating of other people, tolerable of other people. But of course, the, the, the largest picture of having Averas is that Averas are those intentionally left blank spaces that Hashem is inviting us to create in. Hashem's inviting us into those dark spaces and saying, are you going to be crushed by what seems like my, my apathy or are you going to see my apathy as an invitation? This is the space for you to act. I purposefully left this place blank. I purposefully gave you this character defect. I purposefully made you do this Avera. Now there's an empty space. What are you doing with it? Are you going to create in that space? Are you going to create more of yourself in that space? Are you going to see your Avera as an, as an invitation to come back to me and do tshuva? Are you going to see this Avera as an invitation to come back to yourself, to recognize and remember yourself? A person who quits, who quits something that's bad for them a million times a day also means that a million times a day they've had to remember. They've had to do tshuva. They've had to remember what it means to be a human being, the dignity and the magnificence and the beauty of what it means to be a human being. People who have never done Averas can never go back to those spaces and, and within themselves and, and, and see the godless of their neshama. If you've never seen anything broken, you'll never appreciate anything beautiful. It's not just because there's contrast. It's because that's, that's the nature of the world. We are meant to live seeing the world as an opportunity for tshuva. <clears throat> so my bracha to all of us as we, as we enter into this time. On Rosh Hashanah, Ramatul Zilber Merevi said once that on Rosh Hashanah we are Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch Hu King and on Yom Kippur Hashem is Mamlech B'Klal Yisrael to be King. This is a time of Rosh Hashanah is all about Hashem, Yom Kippur is all about us, but it's really all about the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where Shemayim Va'aretz where the guf and the neshama, all of that, all of those little dichotomies, it's where those things are meeting and converging and coming back to alignment, coming back to harmony, coming back to the state, not that the world is in a state of perfection, but the world idealistically is perfect and that the glitches are perfect and the dark spaces are perfect and that we yearn for the time when Mashiach comes on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur will actually be a real alignment when heaven and hell are aligned, when pain and joy are aligned, when, there's, when all the negativity gets transformed into being something perfect and beautiful. And with that, we should be zaychet to <clears throat> having clarity within ourselves, the strength within ourselves to tune more into this warrior spirit, more into this tzaddik <clears throat> energy so that we're not... We're not thrown off our game with every little character defect and with every little neg negative thing that we, that we struggle with. And with that, we should be zeichet to see really the coming of Mashiach when all of these things will not be idealism. They will be reality. And everyone should have whatever it is that Hashem deems to be good for them. We say that Lashana Taiva Masuka doesn't just mean that you should have a good year because everything that Hashem does is good but that you should be able to taste it, experience it, have sweetness. 